the child's not going to remember how hard you work and what you bought him. It's going to remember whether you were there or not. So let's make sure you're present. It's you being with them that's going to create those memories and those bonds. I was torn between, you know, kind of like a street life versus academic life as well at times. So I really didn't have any value for education like that, if I want to be honest. But when I got to A-levels, Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. It's always a pleasure, you know, having great wonderful conversations with people that you need to get to know. And today is another one of those people. I've got like husband, father, like pastor, writer, pioneer, founder, photographer, like the accolade could just like, real talk here, I might say he's been bits in so many different areas. But we're just going to start with him, just call him Brother Ayokune. How are you doing? I'm doing great, sir. I'm alive. I'm well. Mm. It's a new day, so give us right to Doing well, man. And normally I, I go way back, and with you in particular, I thought, I'm going to go with a name. Like, your name has a very special, special meaning. You can break down. But I guess yeah. my, my question is, does that name also come with some pressure to live up to it. I feel like my name is just intrinsic to who I am, you know? I feel like when they named me, they were really led by what it is that they should should call me by. So I feel like I live out my name, you know, rather than having to live up to my name. So I think it's just something that's just intrinsic to who I am. Everybody feels that demarcation when they encounter me, that, yeah, I don't know what my name means. They'll be like, yeah, that's that's definitely the story. Tell the people the full name, the full meaning. Come on, come on. So my name is Ayokunu. It's just Yoruba, and it means the Lord fills my heart with joy. Literally, like if you go, you, you wouldn't see me frowning. If you see me frowning, man, the world is ending. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm a smiling fella, man. Literally, so, yeah. Something I can definitely attest to. Like every single time me and I have had a conversation the last couple of years, the smile's always been there. <laughs> like always and that's something that's always just resonated that you embody it's quite interesting when especially Nigerians the name's a declaration over your life Absolutely. and it's always quite good to see people like living out that declaration and naturally because that was that was the prophecy of you 100%. 100% and when you think about the the creativity that you have and the different things that you're involved with I mean yeah. It's a it's a lot. How do you, in fact, which one do you prioritize the most? Ah, that word priority. Oh, literally, man. Got, got me thinking about that diagram. What's important? What's not so important? What's what I do? So yeah, I mean, they, they they all have their own remits. Where I can comfortably say now, based on how I structured my life, and maybe I could say the season I'm in now of my life, where. One's not so much the most important the other. They just have a place where I give them the adequate, you know, time they need for um, what it is that they're serving in this time um, of my life. So something that my, my wife taught me that really helped me to where I am now is the whole top three thing. Because I, I used to have a to-do list guy that was like this long. And, you know, I was a guy that would do the easy things first. <laughs> and I'm sure we all, used to, like, we all did it until I learned doing the harder things first was much more accomplishing to get the easy stuff done later. So what I, what I used to do, it was kind of overwhelmed with what I was doing. So my wife is good. Look, Monday, top three. What did you get done today? Even more so, actually, which I'll be like, you've got to put me about, I had to dedicate days to the week to certain things that I do. So Mondays, men's stuff. Tuesday was that photography. Wednesday was kind of like off day slash checking with church members. Thursday is photography. Friday, church work prep. So I actually separate my responsibilities into days now. That's because I, 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 that's been to myself more blockage of time to be realistic with my target. So to say that I had one title over the other, I'm like, no, nah, priority in my life is me. Am I, am I okay? I'm a, I'm a Ooh, love it. You know, that's the priority. If I can do, if, I, if I'm okay, then what I need to do is serve his purpose. You know what I mean? So that's, that's my honest answer. Can't say photography is more important. I feel it all serve a need that I need to do that I prioritize myself to make sure that I show up to do what I need to do, you know? So, yeah. So that's, that's why I like using that word because it always gets people like, oh, I don't want to prioritize. This is like, <laughs> well, it sounds quite interesting, isn't it, to see how people approach that because we live in a world that tells you 
or you need to prioritize this, 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 this. But actually, we don't always have to actually do that. Like you said, they all serve different needs and different purposes. And you've taken that time, which is that intentionality of, okay, I know I want all of this. So how do I make it work? And your wife came with some great advice for you. But that point you made around prioritizing yourself first, yeah. I think a lot of times we forget to do that. We focus on everything else, but yeah. we are the ones that are flowing into those things. And if we're not looking after ourselves, I would say like lead self, lead you, like lead self, lead others. If you're not looking after yeah. yourself first, you can't yeah. do the others to the best of your ability. That make no, never makes any sense. At all, literally. I'm still a work in progress in that area, but I've seen how my efficiency finds its foundation in that 100%. I want to, like you said, sometimes how we phrase or the language we use can really throw us off when it comes to what it means to prioritize. I know it's a genuine, you know, positive thing to say, but if we're going to look at what it actually means in its context of your life, it's more about you prioritizing, you know, especially now with COVID situation, we've been well-being, you know, being able to actually show up because a lot of us have been living at the mercy of what we do rather than what we do and being something that's extended from who we are. Is that whole who you are versus what you do kind of complex kind of thing where sometimes we define ourselves by what we do, but not who we are. So we lived burnt out rather than, you know, being being wise enough to take Sabbath or breaks or knowing our limits, you know, knowing ourselves more. So knowing how we can see the signs of like, okay, I'm turning out now. I need to reset. I need to refresh. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, so I'm a, that's a work in progress. I like to work, you know, working for me is, you know, it's, 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 you know, my mind is energizing, but at the same time, it's not overexerting yourself to the point of, of no use, you know what I mean? Or efficient use, should I say, to what it is that you've been called to do, so. When you were younger, what was the plan at that point in time? Because here is like, what, how do you learn doing that? Past of a church, yeah. photography studio, everything else that you do right now, well, what was the trajectory that got you to that? I'm really honest with you, like, like growing up, like, so I'm the eldest of three. Like looking back, I'm like, I'm like, babes, I think I need to take some tests. I don't know if I had ADHD. I don't know if I had this. You know, in class, you're talking to the person that helps you, the coach, then like, we're like, oh, what is the, I can't remember. The, t- like, the TA is, so, the, the, the yeah, teaching yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to have one of those, like throughout my primary school years, because apparently I was disruptive or I didn't concentrate or whatever. Hindsight now, I was just a lot more expressive with how I learned and how I tune information, but I wasn't suited for the academic of, you know what I'm saying? X, you know, one, two, three, four, X, Y, and Z. So growing up, I didn't really have maybe context or language to have an aspiration to what it is I wanted to become. I was just, just I don't know what word to use, but I'm just going through the motion of school and doing whatever I was doing, kind of thing, honestly, with you. typically like music, like sports, all those sort of things. But there was no this like, oh, when I grew up, I want to be a X, Y, and Z. I don't have any fun of that, but I have fun memories of dancing or or drawing or just doing things that I look back now that's, that are probably much more creative expression rather than, you know, reading or studying or whatever kind of academia sort of stuff. So fast forward to like A-levels, if I'm honest, and I was well, so the, the area of such much that I was good at in school was English. I was in top set for English and English lit. So I had a way of writing from, I don't know where it came from, but that's just how it was. So when I got to A-level time, they encouraged me to go towards that like, the media production journalism sort of route. So I just followed my advice from my teachers. Didn't really have any sort of like you know aspiration at, at that time. I was torn between you know kind of like a um, street life versus academic life as well at that time. So I, was, I really didn't have any value for education like that. If I want to be honest, but when I got to A levels, I had a middle studies teacher who saw that I was really good at. Um, and media, and he was the one that encouraged me to apply for a university called Ravensbourne, which, which specializes in media production and um, design and also fashion. So, based in OT London now. And the way he spoke to me that day, I'll never forget it. Like, it's the first time where I felt like, rah, somebody actually believes in me and sees something in me that I don't see. So, that gave me the the energy to pursue it. And literally, I got into the university, quite hard to get into it as well, got into it. And that's where my media sort of creative pursuit started from. So that's age 17. So up until age 17, I can't give you a description of what I want to be when I grow up. But from that encounter of that teacher, he put me on a path where through that course, and it's got expanded to other things that now 
and doing what I'm doing now, <laughs> literally. So, so the other stuff is another story, but yeah, that's, that's the main part that I would say that kind of gave me some sort of direction or some sort of um, meaning or purpose of what it is that I'm doing here. God bless Mr. Guess. <laughs> Wherever you are, God bless you. Thank you. I mean, when I think about part of the work you do right now with the pictures that you take, for example, as a photographer, yes. and obviously bearing in mind, this is just not, people can call themselves photographers like this because you've got iPhones going through here. My man is like wedding, portraits, commercial, award-winning, traveled around the world. This is yeah. what he does. And there's something about the work that you do where it's like, oh, there's a, there's a beauty behind the pictures that you take. And it takes a particular way of looking at things and looking at people to be able to capture them in that light. And I'm curious as to where and how you actually nurture that, that skill and that side of you. And when you, when you pick up a camera and you take a picture, like what do you think about to, be able to get that? I do think there's an innate ability when it comes to that where you just have a unique way of seeing things. And I, and I, I would say that I am quite divergent in my thoughts when it comes to what is normal or what is considered standard. So I think that really allows me to look at something and see something beyond what the, the average Joe will probably see when they see that. And the nurture element, if I'm really honest with you, is just experience. I mean, practice and failed. In my early years of photography, man, looking back now, thinking, man, what was I doing? Like, and I was the sort of guy yeah, where if I, I, did, I would just take something. If I know the basis of it, I would just go and just learn it myself. When I say I'm self-taught, guys, I'm literally like self-taught photographer. Trial and error was my teacher, honestly speaking. That merged with a few other pairs that I that, that I really let them work. And obviously, you reach you reach at your, your craft. So you always look at other um, people that come ahead of you and whatnot. But I just allowed the experience of exploring, adventuring what I was doing to really allow me to nurture that ability to perceive things in a particular way and catch it in a particular way. That merged with technical skills as well. You need to learn how to use a camera. You need to learn the basics of light and all that sort of stuff. Allowed me to to actualize the image I see in my mind when I'm actually I'm shooting. So yeah, literally that's what I would say was the honing of it. So something like weddings, because it's so momentary, the skill of being able to uh, anticipate the next moment is so key. So as a photographer, literally in our minds, I can predict based on my experience what's going to happen next. So I know where to position myself, how to frame it, where to shoot it, and I eventually get my Mess, um, my, uh, my image so that will only come by way of experience and also developing skill as well so yeah that's what I would say allows me to capture sense and allows people like yourself to call it up or to think wow it's innate but it's nurtured for experience merged with technical skill set yeah that's just allowing yourself to, to explore different things that will allow you to think and look at yourself differently so most photographers would probably study another discipline in photography that's not related to what they do, just to keep their minds fresh and how they shoot, because there's a way they'll tell you to shoot fashion, but how they shoot uh, event photography may give you another perspective to how this should be looked like in fashion. You know, it's all about ex- exposing yourself to different things, allowing you to see everything differently, you know? So, yeah. What happens when you don't nurture that part of yourself? The reason why I ask this is I know a number of people in who are like wedding photographers and different things like that, who obviously during COVID were not working. And they found themselves kind of, which surprised me, falling out in love yeah. with photography. Mm. And when things started to open back up again and they said they picked up the camera, they found it quite hard to get back into it because yeah. of just, I guess, anger, frustration, annoyance. I haven't been to work for a number of years. It's been hard, all that kind of stuff. And they kind of, in the center of what, they took it out on the, on the, on the camera. Which it's just it's just the object, but I can understand where that sentiment kind of came from. So I'm kind of curious, like, what is it, especially in that period of time? How did you keep that love and that interest going when you couldn't work? That's a good question. I think honestly, during that time, because of all the other things that I do, it does give me more time to do other things. And I've got to be really honest with you. And 
because of how long, because when COVID happened, I've probably been shooting maybe eight years now, nine years now. I feel like I'm at a stage in my career where I just know to do what I do off my heart. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's a part of who I am. So it, it wasn't so much, so I like this anymore or whatever kind of thing. It was just a thing of whereby I got more time to explore other areas because I got other stuff that I want to build out. And I would, I really was at a stage in photography, honestly, with you, where I'm like, you know what? I want to switch from doing this photography, that photography to teaching and doing this one because I need more time here and there. I'm in another phase of my, of my, of my life. So it wasn't that difficult for me when it came to opening up and shooting again, because I, I think I was at a, at a mastery did of photography where it's like, you know what? I know what to do and how to do it well. And I can do it without having to feel like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do that. The discipline of it was just, that's honestly so, and because I'm doing other things, I understand why I do photography. I need to do that because that's, that's going to help me fund what I'm doing here. But, so there's this, this purpose and the why is attached to it that just keeps the engine running. So, you know, I did, but I find that I did make a decision after COVID that this year, I'm going to next year will be, will be my last year doing wedding photography. And I think the main reason behind that was just the, the beauty of the time that I got to have on the weekends with my partner. Obviously now I've got a spot as well. And obviously I have church on Sundays. My church started just before COVID came, in, came into existence. We had to evaluate my lifestyle and like, what am I doing right now? Is it going to serve me well in other areas? I think I may have to give up this area of photography uh, and focus on other areas. And I, and I did it in my heart, wanted to move towards a teaching workshop paradigm because I felt like I had had my time was up doing certain film photography. Like, you know, I've, I've, it's going to be 10 years this year now. You know, the next phase is coming. You know what I'm saying? So, and that next phase for me now was more towards the men work that I do. I wanted to spend more time there because I thought, you know what, no. This season I'm in right now, I feel like this is the area that needs more of my focus and, and energy. So I'm at a stage of my career of photography wise where I the goal was to, you know, work less but earn more or earn good amounts. <laughs> so where I can like, you know what, I can say no and then structure this time and have certain clientele and then focus on this work and maybe work jobs that will bring enough revenue that I'd have to work a certain amount and just focus on her. So that's my story of COVID and photography. Yeah, it, it, it caused me to drop one and focus on other areas. <laughs> nah, that's, nah, that's dope, though. I think it's a, it's a powerful one, actually, because there are times when you can end up holding on to something for whether it's lack of lack of lack or fear, anxiety, or whatever reason. Being able to have that decision of like, you know what, I need to drop certain things so I can prioritise on other areas, especially my family, which are super important to me. Is something that is one feels good to actually hear, yeah. and two, that thought is is so important. I mean, we can spend time at working, 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 working because like I'm providing for my family. Yeah, or we can be like, well, actually, there are other things I could do which could bring in more income, and I can give that time to dedicate to actually spend physically with my family. And yeah. it's a whole different way of thinking about things. Yeah. So that for me is is, is a really really powerful move. Oh, man. Also, yeah, no, you know, I feel like one of the wealth wisdoms I heard was that, you know, we should be working to buy back time. Obviously, with, with stuff I do with my church and with my guys, you know, those things re- require, like, physical energy, you know, let alone family and, and now another child. More physical energy. And photography is a very physically demanding job, guys. You know, you're, you're on your feet for wedding. 14 hours a day, like actually on your feet, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. So they're traveling up and down and shooting or whatever. And, they, and that's just half the job. You come home to edit another couple of, so it's just about, I, I, I find it, you know, a beautiful opportunity to be able to be like, you know what? Cause I, cause I am a freelancer. I'm self-employed. I can try to create a lane where it serves me to my highest need, you know, and I don't have to make it, like you said, solely about just, you know, lack or abundance. I can make it about making treasures that, that, you know, enhance life, you know what I mean, to those, to myself and those around me. So, um, yeah, man, and I think I'm just trying to learn from future generations about family and life and just find that balance, which I think we're always going to be pursuing in our life anyway and how to, to, to best serve those around us, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be the one saying that I'm doing all of this, but then I'm not here, you know. And my mom told me something very powerful when, when my child came. She said, look, you know, I told your dad, listen, you know, 
the child's not going to remember how hard you work and what you bought him. It's going to remember whether you were there or not. So let's make sure you're present. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Like that's the best thing you can give them a message that you're there, not just giving them stuff. Like that stuff, it's nice, but it's you being with them that's going to create those memories and those bonds and what's going to enhance. You know what I mean? So she, she, she was like, okay, mom, okay, I heard you loud and clear. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So I want to make sure that's a priority. So yeah. Well, moms are coming through with that, with that wisdom. Like you got yeah. some, your mother, your wife, I'm sure you got the people around you, got some amazing, yeah, smart <laughs> women around you who are instilling certain yeah. things into you. But you're also listening to it, which is good. Because we can also, we can be hard-headed sometimes. We're like, I don't know, we tell you something, but it's, it's good now nah, for real. I want to pivot into like the church. Obviously, as a church and the work you do with men, I want to start yeah. from the church first. Like, how did you get into the church? How did you find your faith, and why did you decide yeah. to create church? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so funny enough, at the, at the same time where I was going into A levels, that was the same year where I got saved, um, gave my life to Christ. So that was age seventeen, December. Yeah, New Year's Eve, twenty. 2006 so yeah literally so from that trajectory like there was a radical shift in my life you know just based on how I saw myself I saw the world and I, and it gave me essentially my why to live it before then like I said before I didn't really have any ounce of aspirational purpose or meaning you know the man then was my world <laughs> literally so <laughs> no, looking back it's like yo no, literally that, that was it like very short Sighted, you know, it's just money, girls, and man, that man, that was family, literally. So, from that age, like, there's a radical shift in my life, literally. Like, when I say radical, like, a lot of things that I was doing before just dropped it all off. And I guess Christ just gave me a new zeal as to, you know, why I am here, my calling, and whatnot. And so, if Early on in my in my walk as a believer, that there was a clear indication that I, I had a passion, you know, for people and and for ministry work. So starting from way back then, you know, serving on the media team at church, serving in the team, doing certain things involved in ministry. Even back then, just like serving people, evangelizing, I, I was just always about people. Like I had a genuine heart for people, like boy or girl. So over the years, just was just involved in different ministries, and I was a, and I was graced enough when I was at a church called CLF. I was on ministerial training, and and uh, one of the requirements was that you had to lead a cell group or some sort of a group outside of Sunday Sunday service. So that allowed me to pursue my passion that I had for men. And at that time, I was doing a lot of mentoring. You know, in our faith, we call it discipleship, and I started to see a pattern where. You know, I realized that, wow, you know what? My journey to manhood, you know, which has a lot of its core in, in, in being a believer, you know, the patterns, the struggles, the failures that I was going through, I was just seeing it repeated, you know, across the board in different ways, but the same thing across a lot of men's life. And I realized, you know what? A lot of these guys don't have reference points, don't have framework, don't, don't, don't have other men that are just willing to be real and, and, and honest and transparent enough to share with them their failures and their worlds and, and give them a path to see that, look, you can still change that. I thought, you know what, it's lucky. And obviously, even Christian, the Christian world, there's so much women ministries everywhere. You can do that. It's, it's, it's a cherry pick, but the men's stuff, it's just like, yo, it's very scarcity. And so at, at that point in time, me and my wife were getting, she was my fiance then, we were obviously getting ready to get married and um, we were just giving like a few counsel, a few help to our our friends and couples. And I saw a pattern where I was like, the man, them were just moving a bit. Hey, like what's going on here? Like that married with like my zeal to creating safe spaces for men to really express themselves. I was like, you know what? I said, babes, like, even though you don't are saying this guy's mad, I get it. And I understand it because that was me also. He just needs a space where he can talk, express, and have other mature men that can speak to that, you know what I mean, kind of thing. Because telling him that he's whatever ain't going to change him, but being able to speak to who he is and to speak to whatever it is that he's going through, it can give him that avenue where he can actually be able to be enlightened as to what's really going on and experience change. I say, you know what, I need to create a space where where men can share all of that and we can pour into them and 
and and then and eventually we can create some sort of transformation work in their lives. So that's how four twelve men got birth. Literally, it was a double whammy. It was my passion for men and, and what I believe was the cure to what I was seeing, mixed with you know the, the mantra that I was heard about Christian guys and and you know their values and their morals. And I think you know what, something needs to change. I, I, I'm not a complainer. I'm a solutionist. You know what I mean? So I, I don't like to talk. I like to do. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? We started it, and I started it. January, June 2017 in London Bridge Prep. You know what I'm saying? It was just four black guys. And now we're like, on a Monday, we average 50 or 60 black guys, you know? So it's really, yeah, it's been powerful, man. You know, seeing, seeing so many crazy things in the last well, five years, and actually so, so yeah, literally. So that's the men stuff. I mean, that's what pet stuff. So from there, as I was getting trained to be a minister, Around maybe, yeah, actually, yeah, shortly after I got married, I was in a prayer meeting and I felt the Lord impress in my heart that I, that I should plant a church. So he sent one of my other friends who confirmed that. And my pastor also with me that same week and confirmed that as well. And since that time, me and my wife, which is November 2017, up until October 2019, just spent our time and um, preparing for that next phase of our life. So bear in mind, we're freshly married. So my wife, when she heard that, she was like, what are you talking about? That's not what she signed up for. So she's like... Oh, no. I told me for five, six years. Oh, she's in the ministry work as well. But we didn't feel it's going to be that early. It's like, look, we just got married three months ago. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and me, I was in tears because I was thinking this is something that I knew God would call me to and spoke to me about in detail. And I'm like, wow, now is that time. And she was just like, you know, but eventually, you know, she was, she was able to come aboard, you know, and, and, and we both needed to church together. Our church is really geared towards the creative expression of the gospel. And we have a lot of actors, film directors, poets, anything creative you can think of, we have in our church. Um, our goal is just to create a space to train them to be lights in the industry and for us to collaborate together as a, as a community to creatively express the gospel uh, in, in relevance to the culture of our, of our days. So that's, like, that's like our core niche or, or why as to, what, as to why we exist. Three years in October this year. Wow, man. That, that, that's a long and short of it, version of it. So. <laughs> I mean, looking at what you've done with, with 412 Men and looking at the church creation and that build-up as well, that progress throughout time, and bearing in mind that COVID has been there and that still stayed strong and that's kept on going. So that's no easy feat at all to go to think about, pray about birth with, with God, putting people around to confirm that and then actually nurture all that period of time. And... You talked about like 412 men and that you've seen that. I'm curious for you personally, have you, have you always been a man who opens up and shares or oh. is that something that you had to learn as well? Yes. And no. I think I lean more to, I'm more of the, of a feeler 100%. I would say so literally. So I think it was a lot more natural to me to kind of be a bit more, a bit more softer in that area, if I'm, if I'm honest. At the same time, I had a complex because of what I'm from, I'm from the streets. So you try to hide that and be, you know what I mean? So yeah, so, but they were talking, even back then, man, this smile was still there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, it was a lot, there was a, you know, I was, man, I was a mess, but <laughs> literally. So there was clear, what's the word to use, difunction, you know, to how I was expressing myself. One minute is, you know, a guy with anger issues next to me, a guy just like, you know, just, you know, just, just life for the party sort of vibe. So, but I would say like, at my core, I do, I, I'm a feeler, you know, so I, I think I had a bit more easier inclination to share. That had to also be nurtured as well because, you know, obviously you got to develop trust, you know what I'm saying, all those sort of things. But I would say had a much more natural, natural inclination towards it where it wasn't, that difficult, you know, like crying for me is not hard at all. <laughs> Literally, all those sort of things that maybe, you know, statistically or, you know, culturally, they may say that men don't do. I didn't find those things hard to do, you know, I mean, if anything, I had to hold it out <laughs> if I'm really going to be honest with you. So I think that really helps with how I do what I do. Because one of the main things that I think is the strongest point with 412 is that, you know, there is a culture of transparency and authenticity. 
You know, there's nothing that I'm going to share or teach or speak on that I won't bring from a personal paradigm. You know, I will always make myself the first, you know, point of course of what it is that I'm challenging them or confronting them about, you know, which is what a lot of the feedback has been as to why they, they come or why they've been late or why they value what we do here because they feel like we're not scared to talk about the hard stuff. And then we'll also see in real life examples of what that actually looks like day to day. So, so um, I think that's, that's really helped. If you want to switch off for a minute and be like, I forget that stupid black men talking, and to hear you actually replay that phrase, you wouldn't think you're talking about a group of black men coming together and having a conversation because it's not something that's typical. I mean, you have a group of small circle of friends who might have that relationship. When a bigger, wider community, especially in the UK, I know this is something great in the States, especially in the UK, what you tend to hear of is the, the negative side of things. Yeah. And that, whether it's it's the crime or it's the drama relationship or that kind of stuff. But you have been able to build and create something that everyone comes together. You're open, you're honest, you hold each other accountable. You lead from the front, lead by example, and you're modeling like real values, yeah. which people ascribe to on, yeah. on a general basis. Like, what would you say has been the biggest thing that's helped to create and generate that, that trust and that psychological safety and that collaboration amongst, amongst all of you, aside from you leading from the front? Yeah, um, I think it leads back to my private life, you know. And then uh, I'm going to say private life now. I think it leads back to um, how I walk with God, you know. I think there's something tangible there of how I relate with Christ that really spills over into how I relate with people. Honestly, like I've, people ask the question all the time. I don't know if I want to give a cliche religious answer, but I'm just like, that's the plumb line, literally. Like, while I'm doing with the guys, I'm doing that with him. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And I'm, and I'm, while I'm splitting I'm thinking, wow, I can give it to somebody else which is grace, which is love, which is patience, you know what I mean? Kindness and compassion and not judging them but being a point of contact that can help them. So I feel like that dynamic is, it spills over into how I do what I do. Like, honestly, like like I said, when I got saved, that was the essence of my life, cultivating meaning and purpose and value. So all of the motivation really stems back from that. I want to be really honest. And I think there's some parts of me that's, that's innate in, in my gentleness and my kindness that I think just helps me, you know, just do what I do with the guys. I want to be really honest with you. Like, yeah. people ask this all the time and I've tried to like coin some sort of answer. Like, and I was like, no, that's, that's the source. That's the realness. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> but I'm only reflecting what I'm receiving. You know what I mean? And I'm also saying you can't get what you don't have. So that's what I'm doing. Like, I feel like it's so maybe unheard of because there's a substance to it that's not of self, but something eternal that's being really done inside of me that's having impact on people on a mass level because we all need what I'm experiencing in private, you know what I mean? So publicly, I'm just going to be a signpost to point that way into what I'm living that you're seeing publicly that you can also experience in private, you know? So, yeah, man. This morning, me and my wife having a conversation. I was like, on a regular basis, we're going back and forth around was Jesus an introvert, an ambivert, an extrovert? Like, <laughs> it's the kind of conversation that happened on a Monday morning in the house sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I woke up with this in my mind. But anyway, and but I was like, a lot of times, Jesus withdrew and went to, went to God, had that conversation with him, tapped into him, and then we'll come back into the crowd and do something. And rather than staying in the crowd and be like, yeah, look at me, he'll step away again. Yeah. And exactly what you just talked about is exactly like that, where you're tapping back into the source and all you're getting back from him, you're flowing into other people. And then you go back to the source. It's not about the group. It's not about the size, not about the fame and popularity. It's around just utilizing everything that God is putting inside of you, putting it out there and seeing him do do the great things he's going to do. Because once again, it goes back to the whole substance versus appearances. And, And the funny thing about that description is that, you know, things can appear that they look good but then when you when you examine the substance of it it's not actually good you know what I mean kind of thing so he's giving us an example whereby I'm going to make sure that I'm rooted and grounded in, in, in who it is that I am and that's you know he relationship with the father and that, that that allows whatever is happening on a substantial level the status level to now 
exude on a parent's level or on a counseling of other people. And I think sometimes, especially in this age of branding and marketing and everything looking good, it's so easy. The line's so thin where, especially if it's working, where if I can appear to be something that I'm not, oh, well, that's, I'll keep up the show, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. And then we, if we see the time of our celebrities, like, and they always end up doing something crazy and mad, I'm thinking, well, why are you doing that? But it's because there's a disconnect between substance and appearance. They're not actually exhibiting who they are. They're just projecting an image that they see works for you, that they're trying to live off. Eventually, as a human being, we can only live doing that so long before you crash. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. So that's why knowing your why is so important and why is internal. You know what I mean? You don't always see it. You may see the what or the how, the method, but the why is always going to have good, good, the overarching thing is going to keep what it is they're doing authentic and cause it to actually last and end strong. You know, and my, like one of my goals is to end well, to finish strong. You know, I've seen so many people start, <laughs> you know, so I think that's another area, actually, if I'm honest as well, that keeps my eyes peeled, end strong, you know, finish well. And I, and I realise that one day I'm going to give an answer for everything I'm doing, you know what I mean? So I want to be able to stand there with boldness that, and confidence that, you know, yeah, I, I finished. <laughs> I did it well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mum, I told you that my was going to come with the bars. <laughs> you know, I was going to come with that bar. I was going to give you a little, little minute sailor, you know, just to get you on, get your mind moving. <laughs> <laughs> Have something. <laughs> now, you mentioned your, your wife, Lauren, and Dom. I'm curious, what have been some of the biggest lessons you learned from marriage? Marriage, wow. Hey, biggest lessons. Hmm. I think realizing like marriage is like a, is, is a gift where, you know, God gives you a mirror, which is your wife, and where you're being put into a scene where, Ayo, you can't hide. Whatever it is that's in you, or whatever it is that you're about, you're going to see it. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. So there's, there's this up and close, delicate, you know, work that's being done, you know, for the betterment of you both, by the way. That, that happens in marriage and having to reframe my mind, because it's not easy, it's not, where your flaws are being opened <laughs> for both of you to see and realizing that I'm able to work out my flaws in a safe space of a partner that's not against me, but for me. So it's taught me love is not being strong, but being able to admit when I'm weak. So that, that's, that's my real strength that I can acknowledge that and share that. I'm not allowed shame to close my mouth to that. You know, I think um, that's one of the lessons that I've learned, you know, saying that the weakness that marriage may bring out of me, the flaws it brings out of me, I can share that. I can be naked and unashamed with someone that won't use it against me by God's grace <laughs> and will help me, you know what I'm saying, work through that. So you're seeing that love isn't this, always this clean, perfect straight line it's actually really messy <laughs> you know what I mean it's actually it can look even ugly on the outside you're thinking like what's all that but it's that endurance patience kindness it's that pursuit of truth where you know what I'm not going to give up on you I believe that there's something good out of all this murky mess I'm seeing and so like love just has that thing of energising you to become you know the best version of yourself that's what I've learned so far or, or experienced so far so receiving that and giving that you know what I mean that, that's yeah that, that, that's a journey and the, and the battle you have but Sunday is going to start trap you know woman leave me alone you know what I mean or trauma you know you know, you have your days in it yeah <laughs> I'm sure you know so you do but, yeah you know love becomes bypasses being a feeling or some sort of experience but this conviction and this statement this belief of where um, you made a vow, you made a commitment, you know, you, you, you and this person are, are committed to a bond that will sometimes spark and, and those sparks are for your good. You know what I'm saying? Get the right perspective and, you know, work on that together, you know. And so, yeah, and, and doing that in community, people that you trust that can help you as well. But sometimes you can't help each other or sometimes you're both down, you know what I mean? And somebody needs to help come and, you know, lift you guys up as well, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah. Does that require... You as a man doing some self-work first, even before you've ever met your partner, before you've got married, because you've been able to open up to someone and those faults and flaws, 
it's not an easy thing to do, especially when there's a lot of ego involved. And even like you said, like especially when you're coming from from the streets, we we got that bravado side of us. Yeah. And so to be able to let down our guards, be like, I am going to trust you with this, and I'm going to trust you enough to know that you're not going to use it against me. Instead, you're going to love me through it and nurture me through it and be my rocks. Like I'm going to be yours. So all those different things that you just mentioned. It still sounds like it requires some, some real work that you need to do for yourself, which you can't wait or let that person do for you. You have to do for you. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, man. I mean, it, even even I'm saying now, it, it was a journey because it wasn't always straightforward to share it like that. You know, I feel like I didn't even have maybe um, the bandwidth for or the language, if I want to be honest to be like my relationship with my wife has definitely increased my emotional intelligence. To be to be really honest, you know, because He's not able to ask me certain questions that I wouldn't necessarily answer, i.e., how did that make you feel? I ain't think about how it made me feel. I'm just telling you what it did, what I don't like, and don't do it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, there's no really straight to the point. Nobody cares about how it made me feel. You know, you know I don't have to, I don't have to express about that. I just have to say to correct it and just say, like, this next time do this, you know what I mean, kind of thing. So <laughs> I said they're not sure of it, honestly. So uh, it's really, it's really funny because I feel like how many women, how many women are wise, so intriguing when it comes to this area, literally. So I feel like it's, the self-work you're talking about is very real, you know what I'm saying? So before, when I was younger, I did used to actually general a lot and I stopped for a long period of time and I have started doing it again now. And I think that has been a big help. And it just comes just to being a bit more interrupted what you feel a bit more um does a bit more self-awareness has grown a lot through that that practice you know I, i've done counseling before as well that's that helps the whole being able to um understand yourself a lot more so and and you know what like when you experience being loved it, it makes that it, it unlocks something in you that allows you to, to share something you would naturally do that's all that's most talent on this my, my sharing has been a response. And I want to tell my wife that as guys, sometimes, or well, most times, providing that right environment, you know, for us to express it is very crucial, you know, how you say it, when you say it, you know, these are all quick. Women are different. They want, they, it's like, the come of a word, they want, they want a dossier report, like, they can give you a dossier. For us, like, come of a word, I just want to do something. To chill. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm saying to chill, you know what I mean? So, it's understanding our unique differences, not making it seem, well, you're not whatever, what that, but working towards our differences and being able to say, okay, cool, what can I provide that can allow the differences to still find expression in how it is that I want from them, which is, you know, she wants me to share more about how I feel. Okay, there's certain times when, when I can do that, you know, sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's been like after we've had sex, you know, that like my car's a lot more down, a lot more, you know, emotionally inclined. Sometimes it'd be, maybe actually intentionally booked a time this this evening to like, just to check in with ourselves. Before we used to do that marriage checking like every Sunday morning or evening. So like, how, how do you feel this week? You know, oh, what's this? How does it, you know, that's, that's making it a candid, casual conversation about how you feel, what you like, what you didn't like, you know, where, where you at with, with marriage, you know, where it's that, that checking. Cause you know how busy what we do, we can easily just keep moving. So little practices like that, things like that, it's allow you to be, a bit more in tune with one another. And I think that really has helped me as a guy to be a bit more intentional about really like, okay, I, like, how do you actually feel? So, um, yeah, so I think exercises, that's being exposed to saying things that may not be natural to me or something that I would, you know, normally do that's helped give language. Because I think we're all emotional. It's just about expression of it, right? And, and maybe having the bandwidth to know, you know, how to quantify those emotions and, and you know, speak it in a way that, you know, the other person can understand that. And then maybe reframe your mind to knowing that that's not being weak or being a little boy, like sharing how you feel is something really strong. So I think, yeah, the self-work element definitely comes into play. And sometimes it just may look like this practicing little things that just help you be a lot more self-aware and to learn language, to express yourself and and so forth. So it's, it's definitely a journey. Uh, definitely. Um, <laughs> I would say like for me, like marriage has been the the biggest learning curve that has made the biggest impact on my life in every single shape. Like from whether it's professional work, parenting, wherever it is, like I've learned so much and I and I still keep on learning so much. Because like you said, it's a it's a journey that's never done. We are always growing and evolving as people. 
And the fact that you keep on learning more is actually a good thing. When you feel like you've learned everything you need to learn, that means either you're not growing or your partners are growing and therefore just finding something wrong. And obviously now you are your father of what, six week old, yeah. beautiful baby. If you are enjoying listening to this episode, can you do me a huge favor? Follow the podcast. It really helps us grow and it tells the apps it's the podcast worth listening to. You can do that in Apple Podcasts by clicking on those three dots in the top right of your app. Look out for the follow button and just click on it. If you're listening on Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. You can click on that and you can follow that. We really appreciate you supporting Everyday Leadership. So I'm going to ask you a question my, my wife asked me. In fact, wow. before we heard that, before we heard our kids, like, what kind of father do you want to be? Jeez. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I was fighting the other day. I think when people ask me this sort of question, I was like, you know what? I want to fight the temptation not to, you know, give my son everything I didn't have. But realize that this is a whole new entire being where I want to give him peace. You know, because I feel like the repeated trauma or whatever we're experiencing is, is us just walking in cycles of just trying to fill gaps that that we didn't have into someone some, into someone else that's blind new that may have completely different needs. And we're just repeating doing things that just like, you know what, no, I'm actually gonna serve my son the way that he needs me to, to serve him rather than trying to live out my life through him, you know what I mean, kind of thing. So I was just determined to be a dad that could be an example. And obviously, in my definition of leadership, it's leading by example. I want to be able to become a, let's become a reference point as to like, this is how you can do what it is that you are called to do, literally. And that may not be the same thing as me, but it will have certain principles, values that you can carry into what you do and that will ensure that, you, you know, you're following the pattern and tradition of what it means, you know, to be a son. That's where I'm at with it, you know. Honestly, I'm 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 just bring my mind to realize that my experience is wisdom. And and doesn't have to be something that I try to like say, okay, I gotta do this because I didn't have this. I've got to realize that there's stuff that this guy needs that that I have to discover and be intentional in genuine with and, and that comes by being present and, and being very much involved with him and, and serve him to the best of my ability in those areas. And yeah, and I think I had to, I had to overcome, if I'm really honest, the fear of failure of like knowing that, you know, you know, right is I, and some, you're going to, you're going to end up failing here in some areas. And, and that's not, not the be or end all. You've got to be man enough to own those failures and allow those failures that you experience with him to become his lessons, honestly, because my life, that's, 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 that's the biggest fear I've had in my whole life is failing. I, I was obsessed with not being a failure. And, so reclaiming that in this paradigm of being a father was very, very key for me because then I know that if I don't get it right, the energy I have towards being a father will be engineered by that fear, which will ultimately allow me to become what is that I fear the most. It's interesting to hear you say you had a fear of failure. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you've, like, you start a company, you started 412 Men, you started a church, you started a number of different endeavors and they've gone well. You've sustained them and different things like that. So it's very interesting to hear you say you have, you have a fair failure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's spiritual, whatever. There's just this thing. It's one thing I can remember from young. That's the fear of failure. So I, I don't know if it's intertwined with my relationship with my dad and whatever. I, I don't know. But just this fear of just like making sure that I, I have to be, I just, I don't want to fail, literally, like, so that's what I feel one of the longest memories I, I have, like, just always been able to show up and to succeed. So it's weird, when you like this and that was double thinking, I'm like, yeah, my life doesn't actually look like that. <laughs> but you know, after irony of the, of the way thing that will work against you based on what you're called to do, you know what I mean? So I, in one way, I'm, I'm not surprised that I would have that fear and then, but be one of the, you know, probably, you know, one of the most high producers that I'm, with what I'm doing and stuff. So I feel like that's the, that's the lie that if I believe they have stopped me from starting anything. And it's the lie that's, that still hangs around that 
that tries to learn me or, or learn what I'm doing to not, you know, end up finishing well or, or ending well. So it's something that I make sure that I refrain and renew my mind to what it means. I realize that my failure is not in what I do. You know what I mean? I, I am successful because of who I am. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, literally. And, and, and just realizing that failures are, are lessons. Like, you know, it's an, an event, not a person. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. So, that's very crucial. If anything, I'm grateful for losses because there are actually lessons on how to do something. But I learned something new about myself that I would never have learned unless I tried. You know what I mean? So then that's, that's, that's the main thing. Bro, okay. this has been a joy. Like, <laughs> this, has, this has been a joy because I can say that at the start, like there's, there's so much that you've traversed and so many experiences that you've had in different walks of life. And the way that you kind of bring them all together and he all goes back to, I want to say that 17-year-old you going on that journey of change. And there's a, there's a statement that says that we always tend to create and provide things that we didn't have. And that's what you've done with like 412 Men and the church and the journey. And maybe even you're talking as, as, a, as a husband and a father defending his life that you're very intentional around the way that you're approaching things. Mm-hmm. And it's great to be able to talk to a man, a black man who is leading a community in a way that's very, very different to the norms of the world. And I just want people to know more about you. One, for those of you who want pictures taken at your wedding, my man's already giving you a deadline yet. So yeah. if you really want that, like <laughs> you need to get on that. But then it's also around the other elements and areas that you do. Like it's whether it's the it's the teaching, whether it's the um, work you do commercially. Those who know about Black, Black Business Week, there's, there's amazing like HSBC profiles. This is the man behind it. All the different images that you're going to see when when it comes in October again. This is the man behind it. There's so many things that you are doing in all walks of life, and it's great to be able to hear you just talking about your thought pattern, talking about your faith and how that nurtures and reaches you, talking about being a husband and a father and and a lot of elements that are not heard of a lot and need to be heard of a lot more. So really, really appreciate just the the candor and the honesty that you've you brought today because I, I knew it was going to be good. You know, I knew it was already going to be good. <laughs> like, you know, I came out of the start and was like, oh, uh, so like, what are the notes? I'm like, we're not, we're not doing notes here. We're going to have a conversation because I want to get the real you where you're just thinking as I'm asking you questions. And that's exactly what you did, man. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege to be on here. Honestly, man, you know, you know, thank you, man. Uh, even having this conversation is refreshing to myself because, you know, when you're always producing or creating or whatnot, they take the time to sit back and be like, whoa, you know, like, okay, the stuff that's happening that I'm doing, that's, you know, it's having an effect, you know, so it's beautiful. Like, I know that, but it's always good to hear it, if that, if that makes sense. So, so, yeah, so really thankful for the conversation. You know, it's, it's, just, it's, been, it's, been, it's been refreshing. Man. You know, once again, it's an honor that privilege to be on this platform as well, man. You've been doing great things with this, man. So, everyday leadership to the world's global, man. Amen. I'm claiming that one. I'm claiming that one. I'm claiming that one. You can drink the mask in, in, in Mars as well. <laughs> <laughs> All the details around Ayo, the wonderful work he does, or around his company, the church, the community, different things like that, it's all going to be available in the show notes. Because it's someone that you definitely want to get involved with because he is going to change the way that you look at things. That is Ayo. It's Erida Leadership. See you next week. Here's a quick preview of who we got coming up in next week's episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. How do you keep from wasting time on video? Because it can drive you crazy if you're having this, you know, the same idea. I've got work to do. I don't have time to talk to you. You know, that sort of thing. 